We're going to continue with John now, with John chapter 21, the last chapter, part 35 in our series. We're almost at the end. And the title today is A Meal on the Beach with Jesus. And my goal is to allow Jesus to reveal himself to us as he did to the disciples on the beach. We're going to do three things. We're going to look at this beautifully woven story of what happened on the beach that morning. We're going to take some time to do that because it's such a lovely way that it's been written. And then we're going to ask what John has told us in this story. And we're going to end by asking how we can receive this revelation of Jesus. So last time I looked at the first appearances of Jesus to Mary and the disciples. We saw Mary at the tomb and then twice to the disciples in a locked room. And we see that Mary missed Jesus the most and she was the one he first appeared to. And the takeaway from that was to be like Mary, keep your eyes on Jesus, read his words, spend time with him in prayer, hang out with him by thinking of him often. And she had the better part. She had the the first revelation of him because she was the one that missed him the most passionately. So be like her. Follow her example. So let's look then where we are at in John. We look at the structure of John. It falls into two halves. The Book of Signs, which is his public ministry, and the Book of Glory, chapters 13 through 21, which is time privately with the disciples, and his death and resurrection. So the book of glory then, chapters 13 through 21, begins with a meal on the beach, with the, sorry, a meal with the disciples in the upper room. And then we have teaching, his arrest, trials, crucifixion, resurrection. And then we end with a meal with the disciples. And we have this beautiful symmetry Now, there are some, um, in fact, many people writing about John have suggested that actually the book, John intended to end at the end of of chapter 20, because chapter 20 looks like a kind of a closing, and then maybe he had more space on the manuscript or something, and he put another chapter in. Well, I don't believe that's the case, partly because I don't think God's word works like that, but also there are some actually really close matches between chapter 13 and chapter 21. They're like mirrors that bracket this central section. And uh, I'm going to look at some of them this time and some next time, but just uh, some, some indications of how 21 matches 13. There are only two places in the gospel where Jesus calls them little children. One of them is in our passage today, and one of them is back in the Last Supper. Jesus says, little children... I'm still with you for a little while. You will look for me. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And so when he was on the beach, he called out to the little children, echoing these words. We see both cases, Jesus humbly serving the disciples, very, very similar kind of things. We see them eat a meal together and Jesus passes out bread in both of the stories. And also... The first of the stories is Peter's, it's setting us up for Peter's denial. And the story in John 21, which we're not going to get to today, but it's, it's Jesus 
restoring Peter after the denial. So those are very important matching pairs of stories that open and completed. And not only that, but we have some other very close parallels between things that are happening between um, Peter and Jesus and Peter and John in John 13 with what happens in John 21, with the same expressions being used and a kind of bringing to completion some things happening. So I'm going to argue that uh, these are very, very closely paralleled and John is intentionally bringing things to a close with this story. And so uh, this, uh, this is a beautifully woven story. We've seen the attention that John gives to the way he tells stories throughout the book of John. And he uses one of the common practices from ancient times of writing poetry where you go through a set of ideas to a central point and then you go back through those ideas to the beginning. And often right in the middle is some key change that happens and often right at the beginning and the end is like the purpose for the story or something that frames the story in that way. So... Um, that kind of thing is frequently done in John. But here, in John 21, he excels himself. He has actually eight levels of going in um, uh, from beginning to end. And uh, so uh, I, it's quite remarkable. So we're going to try and look at that just to explore the beauty of what's happening here. So let's look then at... Um, first of all, I want to look at the story overview and this is using my words. It's not the words from the scripture. But um, I've tried to capture the whole thing on a page here for you. Uh, because when you just see the whole thing like this, you'll, you'll be able to see the flow of ideas. So to start with, we have a statement that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples. And that's, that's there in, in, in purple at the top. At the bottom, we have the same thing. He ends by saying Jesus revealed himself to the disciples. So that clearly is what's going on. And then we start with him being hungry. Sorry, the disciples being hungry at, at the beginning. That's in B. And it ends with the disciples being fed. They're full. Uh, then we have at the beginning, Jesus is present, but he's unrecognized. And that's matched with them recognizing him at the end. Then we have two places in this story where Jesus tells them to do something. And the first one, he tells them what to do to meet their physical needs. <clears throat> and the second one, it's the same thing. He tells them what to do to meet their physical needs. And then there's a massive haul of fish described at the beginning. And then at the end, uh, the massive haul of fish is counted. So we're coming down now to, to the middle. We have an inter, inter, um, injection of Peter's behavior, which actually is picked up in the next section. So I'm not going to explore that very much, but Peter's behavior is there, responding to Jesus in both places. And then we have G bringing in the fish, and that's matched with the G bringing in the fish. And then right in the middle, we have them a statement that they're not far from land, and then the statement that they're on the land. Which, which marks out that, in fact, the first half of this all takes place at sea, and the second half all takes place on land with Galilee. So the middle transition is actually being with Jesus, coming to 
be in Jesus' presence. So it's, it fits very beautifully together because not only does it mirror perfectly the first half and the second half, but there is something going on, as we'll see, in terms of the purpose of the story, why this is being done. So what I'm going to do now is to read this through. But I'm going to read it through with some animation so that we can see visually what's happening with the story. And so I'm going to start off by reading verses 1 and 2 of John 21 and then verse 14, which is the matching one. And then I'm going to do similar things with the other parts, just so we're seeing how the whole thing hangs together. Verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. The group was Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So you can see that fits together very, very nicely. Uh, it's interesting that the group there, Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, um, sons of Zebedee were James and John, of course, John who wrote this book. The two others are not named, but the total number is seven there, which may or may not be significant. It's interesting, though, that um, two of those people, Simon, Peter and Nathaniel, are the named people from right from back at the beginning of, of the book of John. So he's like making an allusion from the very last chapter right to the beginning of John, because they're the, among the very first disciples that come. So, let's have a look then what happens next. Simon Peter told them, I'm going fishing. They replied, we will go with you. They went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. And then as echoed with, Jesus came, took bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. So moving then, from having nothing, being hungry, to being fed. And there's a contrast then between those two. So let's open up the next phase of the story, verse 4 compared with verse 13. And this is really clear how this is echoing. Verse 4 says, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And that's echoed in, Now, None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And I assume they are kind of embarrassed to say, you know, are you Jesus? Because they know it is Jesus. Um, So we're moving then from not recognizing him to recognizing him. And that, the, the, the rest of the story inside then is between those two points. So what happens? Well, let's look at, open up then and see this next little bit. Jesus said to them, children, you don't have any fish, do you? They replied, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now notice that they don't know this is Jesus. You might say, well, why are they obeying this person, you know, 100 yards away on the land who's shouting to them? Why are they, why are they doing that? Well, we don't know. I mean, maybe they think, well, we've, you know, we've exhausted everything else. Let's try it. So they, they try it. Um, and then so this is the, the, the statement Jesus makes, which they follow, cast the net. 
And then the second time Jesus speaks in this whole thing is in verse 12, come and have breakfast. Those are the only two times that Jesus speaks in this incident. And so between those two, we've had this catch. So what was the result then? We, we carry on reading in verse 6. So they cast it and were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And then verse 11, they counted. He hauled the net to shore full of large fish, 153 of them. But although there were so many, the net was not torn. A lot of people have speculated on the number 153. And um, right from early, you know, the early times of the Church Fathers, they, you know, mathematicians have tried to, to um, uh, find some, some kind of special value in what is this special about this number and all kinds of things they find special about it. But um, uh, I think probably the best answer, I was actually talking to Trent, our resident mathematician, uh, yesterday, and Trent suggested, and I think he's right, that he, if it was just approximate number, you'd say 150, you know, 200, it's approximate number. But the fact that it's numbered exactly suggests that they were counted. And, you know, they actually counted every single fish. It's not a, it's not a round number. It's an exact number. And this points to John actually being there. He's an eyewitness. So 153 large fish. This is a huge catch. Um, and then we have Peter's involvement. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. So Simon Peter, when he heard that it was the Lord, tied his outer garment around him, for he was stripped for work and plunged into the sea. Uh, lots of people have speculated what's happening there. Um, it's probable that he was just wearing some underclothes, maybe a loincloth or something, as he was fishing. But um, it wouldn't be appropriate to be greeting Jesus like that. Um, so he wanted to take his coat, with, you know, his, his clothes, his outer garment with him. But um, you, you can't swim in it. So he just tied it round himself and then jumped into the water. And then he would untie it and put it on properly when he got ashore. So I think the emphasis really is on his haste here. He's really, really uh, rushing headlong into this. He wants to find Jesus. And we, we'll talk more about Peter next time. This is uh, We're going to uh, focus much more specifically on Peter. But he's mentioned here in these important parts of the story. Um, what happens then, and I'm just going to read the story as it goes through, and, and uh, the bits that are reflected, I'll read those as we come through the story. So the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. And then the central part, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards. So they have an approximate figure, not an exact figure. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with a fish placed on it and bread. So this is another fish. And Jesus is already, how it's come from, well, Jesus has just supernaturally got this fish and the bread and he's made the fire and he's cooking breakfast for them. So he's prepared a meal for them. And Jesus says to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went back out. So there's some, he's going to cook some more fish because one won't be enough for all eight of them. 
uh, so Peter went back out. So there you have the story. I'm not going to go through the rest of the parts we've already read, but um, you, it's important, I, see, I think, to see the way the story is just so beautifully reflected because it all makes sense and each part reflects in the other part that's later on. Um, so that's the, that's the the overview then. Sorry, that's the, the, the detail of the story. And what I'd like to talk about now, we've gone through this story, and what I'd like to do is to... Um, we've gone through the beautifully woven story. I'd like to ask why John has told this story. Why has he told it? One of the frustrating things, I've read lots of commentaries on this passage, one of the frustrating things is that they focus in on you know, what kind of fish it was and uh, why the number 153 and all kinds of detail. And I didn't find one that asked the question, why is this story here? What, what are we supposed to get from this? What is the really, why is this story so important that John has attached it to the end of the gospel? What's going on? And when we've discussed that, we'll ask how we can receive this revelation from Jesus. So why has John told us this story? Um, well, one of the questions that comes up as we read it is, was it wrong for the disciples to go fishing? Um, should they have, you know, some people say, well, um, they've lost the plot. You know, Jesus has breathed the spirit onto them and, and so on, but they've lost the plot and they've just gone back to what they did before. Uh, but I don't think that works because that's not how John is portraying it. For one thing, John never actually mentions there were fishermen to start with. That's not part of his story. If he wanted to do that, he would have made them be fishermen in the beginning and then he could have like echoed the story of them going back to fishing. The second thing that I think is important is Jesus didn't, make, didn't condemn the fishing. He actually made the fishing work. These people have to eat. And the purpose of the story isn't that fishing is wrong and they shouldn't have been doing it, but that Jesus is present there. They still had to eat. So what then is uh, Jesus' point in, in the story? So I think that the structure here is very helpful and the main point is spelled out by John. He revealed himself to the disciples in this way. So what we need to say is, what is it that Jesus is revealing to the disciples about himself in this story? Because that is how John begins and ends this story. What is it? And I would suggest that um, the, uh, the core of this story is that even though Jesus is now in the new creation. He's got a new creation body. You know, he's resurrected. His body can go through walls. It's, a, it's, it's completely new. Um, and we have a physical body, but he's giving us the spirit. Yet, um, even though that's the case, Je uh, Jesus says, you know, I still, you still have a body which needs to be taken care of. You know, I'm not abandoning you. I'm not just saying, okay, only the spiritual is of any importance now. 
physical things, you know, you just, just go away from that, just ignore that. Jesus will not abandon us now that he has a spiritual body. Jesus won't kind of be off in another world not, not caring about us because he is now a new creation. He continues to create, to care for the old creation, for our old creation bodies. And so I think that's one of the points that's in there. And I think another point that's, that's really key in this passage and it's key in the structure is that he is present even when they don't recognize him. And he is working even when they don't recognize his presence. Um, so uh, I want to say that in the passage is a movement from not recognizing his presence to seeing his presence, a movement from being hungry to being full. And uh, the statement, he revealed himself in this way. So I want to suggest that this revelation is his ongoing presence and care even when we don't see him. It's interesting that this miracle is different to all of the other ones he did in the book of signs, the first 12 chapters, the public ministry, because the purpose of those was to point to Jesus being sent from God. It was to point to who he was. But the disciples already knew who he was. They already believed him. You know, Thomas had just declared, you know, my Lord and my God. This wasn't to point to who he was. This was simply to feed them, simply to show them his love, simply to show them his care. And and what I think it's saying is, look, I'm going. Or I've accomplished what I came to earth to do. I'm going. But that doesn't mean to say that our relationship has stopped. I am still there for you. And I think this is this must have been so important for the disciples that the last time he appeared to them, he was looking after them. He cooked a breakfast for them. That's amazing what he did. You know, the last experience was Jesus cooking a breakfast, a delicious breakfast to provide for them. Isn't that amazing? Um, you know, so there are people who would suggest that it's never God's will for you to be hungry, that, you know, that you're lacking faith if you're hungry. And uh, I, I, I want to say that actually sometimes we are called to suffer for Jesus. And, you know, although there are promises to meet our needs, there are times when there is hardship in following Jesus. So Paul says, um, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardship, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. So Paul is saying that, you know, he's had, as a, as a servant of God, he has had to suffer a lot of things. He's been called to it. That doesn't mean to say that there wasn't provision of God for him in many ways, but it's not something you can just demand, oh, you know, I'm, if, you, if you're hungry, you're lacking faith. That God, you know, God's always going to answer that prayer. But I want to say, though, that, that God is always concerned. Jesus always is concerned for your needs. He always is. And I want to suggest to you that this story is simply about Jesus' ongoing love. 
And I want to say that he knows your needs and does not devalue physical needs. Some of the early Christian groups, they um, believed that the physical was somehow wrong or evil and only spiritual things were good and so they would they would do they would they would deny themselves anything pleasurable physically because they thought that was wrong and so they would kind of um stream self-denial and that's not the jesus of the gospel that's not what's being, being presented here of course we don't want to indulge ourselves to the point you know where we're getting taken up with this world but nevertheless it's good God has provided good things in this world. Um, another thing I want to suggest is there's no rebuke here for not hearing him. That's not the point of the passage. There's, Jesus doesn't say, you know, why didn't you notice it was me on the beach? That's not the point. Um, um, I want to say the point is that, that Jesus is present. He is present and he is at work in our circumstances. And that he provided more than the minimum for you to survive. He provided a delicious meal. He didn't just provide like the bare bones for them you know, not to die of hunger. This was absolutely wonderful meal. So this then I'm suggesting is the point of the story. The reason why John included it in the gospel is that we should have a revelation of Jesus. Not just the disciples, but we should have a revelation of the Jesus who, even though he's returned to be with the Father, is present with us and knows our needs and delights to give us good things. So, we've looked at this beautifully woven story of what happened on the beach. We've asked the question, why has John told us this story? And I want to just end by briefly talking about how we can receive this revelation of Jesus. And so I want to suggest to you that this story is not telling us to make sure we're listening to Jesus, telling us where to cast our nets. I mean, it's important to be listening to Jesus but that's not what the theme about. The story is not about the disciples, it's about Jesus. The, the focus is on, not on what they're doing, but what he is doing. And this is, story is to, to take our eyes off ourselves and put our eyes on Jesus. It's a revelation of Jesus, not a revelation of us. And this should be where our focus is. It's not telling us about us and our faith, but about him and his faithfulness. So I would suggest to you that our response to this story is not to be anxious, but believe in his ongoing presence and care even when we don't see him. And I, I'm going to ask that all of us allow Jesus to reveal himself to us through this story. It's funny, but quite often when I'm preparing a sermon something will happen in my life that just echoes um what you know what the message of the sermon is and as i was getting ready to 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 set up um for this sermon um 
I I got the microphone and everything, and and uh, and I couldn't find this little black um, cover, pop cover, and the clip that was on the side. And I was, I thought, is it on my desk somewhere? Is it in the other room? And I was rushing around. This is just now. I was rushing around, thinking, oh, where is it? Where is it? And I thought, oh God, please, Lord, you know where it is. Lord, please show it where it is. And I was thinking, oh, maybe it's on here. And I just moved a piece of paper on my desk, and there it was. And I'm thinking, you know what? And I think, oh, God, you're so kind. You know, there it is. And it actually, you know, before it maybe took me 20 seconds before between starting to look for it and finding it, and you've provided it for me. And then I realized that, like, moving aside that piece of paper is a little bit like putting your net down the other side. It's a completely arbitrary thing to do. And there it was. And uh, and it wasn't about whether I was, you know, having enough faith, but no, God knows what I need. He knows I needed it, and He provided provided it for me. It's a silly little thing, but it just struck me as funny in the moment. But uh, sometimes, of course, there are much bigger things that we need. You know, big financial things, or big things in relationships that we have, or or life circumstances, and um, and what I really want you to get today is that Jesus is not absent. He's present in your life. He sees what you're going through. He's there. And whether or not he'll give you a word telling you what to do uh, is not doesn't change the fact that he cares about you and he sees your circumstance. So that's what I think Jesus wants to reveal to you through this story. He's there on the beach. Luke 12 says, but if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you have need of them. Instead, Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So I've tried to summarize this on my last slide here. Receiving this revelation of Jesus, our response from this story is not to be anxious, but believe in his ongoing presence and care, even when we don't see him. And to allow Jesus to reveal his loving care to you through this story. So let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you that you love the world so much that you sent your son. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are watching us right now. You know our struggles. You know intimately what's been worrying us this last week, what's worrying us about next week what our concerns are, you know them intimately and you care. Lord, we pray that you will calm our fears and we will know that you are present with us and your love for us will never diminish. We thank you. Please reveal this to us, to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.